Amen. I've told this story before, and of course, if you've been with, with us any length of time, you've heard all my stories, because I only live one life. Uh, talking about length of time, by the way, our, our, our worship director, Steve Montero, was on vacation this week, and I, I do just want to mention that uh, Nancy Sapaneri, who led worship for us today, um, I just want to give a shout out to Nancy, because... She was singing with our worship team on the very first Sunday we started our church. And she has been totally committed for 25 years almost now. So uh, I appreciate her. I appreciate her gifting. And I appreciate her, her, just her, her willingness to still commit and sacrifice and be a part of what God's doing here. Um, which is a fabulous thing. So anyway, she's probably heard this story before. So I, I, used, I used to be a big fan of ice cream. I'm not so much nowadays, but ice cream was my big thing. I put it down to the fact that in the UK, right up until the time we moved over here, in the UK, ice cream only ever came in three flavors. You had vanilla, uh, strawberry, and chocolate. And then you could have the Neapolitan with, with, you know, a bit of each. But that was it. That was all there was, an ice cream. And then I came to the United States of America, right? And the very first time I came here, I used to fly transatlantic with TWA. And I flew into the international terminal at Kennedy. And then I was flying domestic with TWA out of Kennedy. So I go from the international terminal to the domestic terminal. I've got some time in my hand and I see this place, this remarkable, miraculous place <laughs> called Hagendaz. <laughs> I had never been in such a wonderful place in the whole of my life. I couldn't believe the choices that were there. And, and the funny thing was, through the 80s, I came and did ministry all over the States uh, once or twice uh, every year. And I generally fly TWA and, and was often in and out of the, the domestic terminal. And, and the guy who worked in haagen got to know me. <laughs> Perhaps I was his, uh, his biggest customer, his biggest purchase of the day. Um, but, but he did. It might be a year since I was here last. I walk in and say, oh, you're back then. And I loved it because, you know, the deal, it's like, what do you want? You've got all these choices, you know? He only ever asked me once, do you want whipped cream on that? I mean, what a stupid question. <laughs> the difference between here's what you got and what would you like is huge. When Jesus walked this earth, he didn't say to people, here's how it is, take it or leave it. He said to them, what can I do for you? How can I help you? What do you need today? And he looked after the needs of the people. And one of the things I've endeavored to do over this past six weeks and again today is this. It's to minister like Jesus did. 
I could give you a sermon about stuff that's totally irrelevant to your everyday life and say, there it is, take it or leave it. Or I could try to get my finger on the pulse of where a lot of folks are at and say, here's something I think will help you right now. And it has been a tremendous blessing to hear from so many of you that this series that we have covered has been a tremendous help to you. And here's my thought. The vast majority of us here today, we know the Lord. We've got a relationship with Jesus. But some of these mental health issues we've touched on are very real issues for us. Can you imagine? Can you imagine facing some of the challenges that I've talked about and not having a foundation of knowing Jesus? It's like life gets challenging enough for us who belong to the Lord. How incredibly difficult it must be for those who don't know Jesus. And you know, one of the things this series has done for me is it has re-energized me to say, folks, we really got to focus wholeheartedly on what we're about as a church. Because there's a world out there that desperately needs Jesus. There are people out there who are in such difficult situations. Hopeless. Fearful. Dying. Because they don't know the Savior. If life's a struggle at times for us who know the Lord, what must it be like for the people who don't know the Lord? So over the next two weeks, I'm going to jump from this into a two-week series that I simply call, Let's Do This. Let's do this. And what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is, is, is I want to, I, I just want to, uh, for us all to, to take a look afresh at what we're about, why we're about it. And I, I really want to encourage you and I really want to challenge you as we move forward. Preachers have got two basic jobs. Their, their job is to comfort those who are afflicted. I hope we've done that in the next last few weeks. Their other side of their task is to afflict those that are comfortable. <laughs> I'll see you next Sunday. <laughs> but I do believe the next two Sundays are going to be very significant. I want to encourage you to do your utmost to, to make sure you're here next Sunday and Sunday after. And uh, I want us really to focus on that in the light of all we've talked about over the last six, seven weeks. It's like, let's, let's really just reaffirm what we're about and where we're headed as church together. So all that having been said, today I want to come to talk about the seventh topic, and I want to talk about beating burnout. Beating burnout. Because there might well be folks here today, and you're at a point right now where pressure's mounting in your life, and you feel, I just can't cope with it all, I can't do it all anymore. And, and if you're in that position, let me just throw this statistic out to you. In a 2021 survey of U.S. workers, more than half of them felt burned out because of the demands of their jobs. So here's the thing. If you're like that, and that's just from work, 
If you're like that, here's the great news this morning. You're normal. Now, it's sad to say it, but that apparently is normal. But the fact it's normal and widespread doesn't mean it's acceptable or desirable. And that's just from stress. I want you to listen to this statistic. This is a very sobering statistic. In 2021, there were 22,900 reported cases of murder or non-negligent manslaughter in the United States. All right, 22,900. The same year, there were 47,646 suicides. And that number is rising, especially among young people. Let's do this, folks. People are coming to the point where they're at the end of themselves. And, and burnout, of course, isn't just because people are having to work long hours, long days to, 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 to make ends meet. It's a combination of mental, emotional, physical exhaustion that comes from a lot of different sources and different situations. People just can't balance all the demands anymore. Like the social pressure to be there for everyone, to live up to their expectations, to try to keep everybody happy, to always say yes and always be available, to, to be positive all the time, to keep up a good face and a good image in front of everyone. Or the financial pressure just to pay all the bills and to make ends meet. And then you've got the kids and there are things you feel you should do for the kids or have got to do for the kids and they need to have this and they need to have that and you can't afford it, but it's like, I've got to do this, I've got to do. And, and, and the financial pressure is another area of huge stress for people. Then there's family pressures. The pressures of raising children. The stresses that come at times in a marriage. Hey, for some of you, the stresses of dealing with aging parents. Because we just keep living nowadays. But that's another huge, seriously, a huge area of stress and pressure for a lot of families. And, and, and then you add perhaps health issues for yourself or for those dear to you. Then you throw back in a, a, a work environment that's difficult. Then, then you put into that all the craziness and weirdness and aggression there is in our world. And, and then if you want, you add to that, that if you're not careful, you go to church where a pastor says to you, you really aren't up to the mark. You need to get your act together. It's like, I'm done. And here's the thing. If you break a bone, you'll get sympathy. But say you're at the end of your rope, and very often a Christian doesn't know what to say to you. So let's talk about burnout. We talked about stress a few weeks ago, which I'd say is more to do with a single event. Burnout is the accumulation over a period of time of a lot of things, because it feels never-ending. You get to the place where you lose hope. You've got nothing left on the inside. And if that's you here today watching us online today, I want to point you to one of the most outstanding men in the Bible. I just love the fact that through this series, we have looked at some of the biggest characters in the Bible who've actually had these major mental health issues. 
We talked about David. We talked about the prophet Jeremiah. Last week, we talked about the apostle Paul. So today, I want to talk to you about another Old Testament prophet by the, by the name of Elijah. It's important for us to realize that right through the Bible, there are actually real people who struggled with real situations. And the thing is this, if you're battling with exhaustion or burnout or depression, I just want to encourage you again today. That doesn't mean to say you're a bad Christian. It means you're human, but it also puts you in line for this. We've got a God who can help us and heal us and lead us forward. So, so let, let me give you the backstory. I toss out the name Elijah like everybody should know him. But, but let me give you a bit of the backstory, okay? So Elijah is this man of God, this prophet. And uh, in the nation at the time, they had a very wicked king called Ahab who, who really drew the people away from the worship of God. And he established idols all over the place. And they, they all worshiped this idol by the name of Baal. And then one day, Elijah being prompted by God goes to see the king and says to the king, so, hey, king, here's the word of the Lord. From today onwards, there will be no rain in this land till I say so. It's a gutsy guy, right? Now, not only to confront the king, but to say there won't be any rain and believe it's gonna, that's going to happen. <laughs> So he goes in, tells Ahab it's not going to rain, and then he ran for his life. He went off to a place in the middle of nowhere, and, and he, he camped out by a little stream, and, and God miraculously provided for him uh, there at that stream. And when the stream dried up, God guided him to a, 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 a widow woman, and uh, she took care of him and looked after him. And while he's there staying with her, her son dies, and actually Elijah raises her from the dead. Like, he's something else. He's not your run-of-the-mill prophet. He's a prophet. So, so this is Elijah. There's no rain. And then several years go by. And then Elijah gets a little bolder. And he says to Ahab, let's have a competition. Let's check this out. Why don't you get your people to erect a big altar to Baal, put an animal sacrifice on it, and uh, let them pray to Baal, and, and let Baal send fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. And I'm going to set up an altar to God, and I'll pray for God to send fire down. And it's real simple. The God who sends fire wins. Right? And, and, and that's what they do. Some of you are very familiar with the story. They do that, and uh, and, and, and Baal's guys set up this and they pray and they shout to heaven all day long and nothing happens. Nothing at all. And Elijah says, hold my beer. <laughs> no, no he, no, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. That was, that was a different translation. Sorry. That was, Elijah did not say, hold my beer. All right, so... <laughs> Eli, Eli, Elijah said, you know the Sunday Charlotte's away. So, so Elijah says, my turn. And, 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 and some of you know the deal. He, he started by saying, dig ditches around the altar. Then he said, go get water, loads of water. Don't know where they got it. There'd been a famine. 
but they got this water and they drenched it so much that, that, that there was like a moat. There was water in these, in, 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 in these trenches all the way around the altar. And then Elijah stands back, all right? Baal's prophets have been praying and screaming all day long to Baal to send fire. And, and Elijah steps back and says, God, you show these people who you are. Woof. Right? Fire burns the whole thing up, laps up all the water around. And then Elijah says to his buddies, go kill all Baal's prophets. And they do. So here's where, here's where, that, story, here's where that story then goes. Ahab's wife was a woman named Jezebel. Right? That's why that name's not a very complimentary name nowadays. Right? Still. In 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 2, it says this. After all this had happened, Jezebel immediately sent a messenger to Elijah with her threat, the gods will get you for this, and I'll get even with you. By this time tomorrow, you'll be as dead as one of those prophets. Whoa. So here's Elijah. He had experienced nonstop protection from God the miraculous provision of God, the almighty power of God. He had seen God do some absolutely amazing things. And then this angry queen made a threat and he fell apart. It's amazing, really. He had endured so much, gone through so much, experienced so much, and he'd come through it strong, standing tall. And then suddenly this final thing happens, right? The last straw. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's, it's, it's the last straw. You, 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 you deal with so much, you know, your kids are causing you a headache. You've got stress at work. You can't balance your budget. The doctor just told you some bad news and, 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 and you handle it perfectly well. And then the washing machine goes kaput and like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. That's, that's it. I, I can't do it. It's kind of like this Jenga thing nowadays. When, when our kids were small, we used to play Jenga a lot. Yeah, no? Some of you looking puzzled. Right? So you stack up the things and you pull them out very, very carefully, right? And sometimes life likes that. Life's like that. It's like, yeah, lost that. Yeah, that's gone. And then there's the one piece and everything collapses. And that's how Elijah was. Jezebel hadn't actually done anything, right? Ahab at one point had sent his army scouring the country looking for Elijah to kill him. Jezebel hadn't sent a single soul. Not an army or not just one assassin. She hadn't sent anybody. She had said, hey, I'm going to kill you. You're going to end up dead. And he was done because it was the final straw. And the fear of that finished him off. Here's what it says in verse 3 of 1 Kings 19. When Elijah saw how things were, he ran for dear life to Beersheba, far in the south of Judah. He left his young servant there and then went on into the desert another day's journey. He came to a lone broom bush and collapsed in its shade, wanting in the worst way to be done with it all. To just die. Enough of this, God. Take my life. I'm ready to join my ancestors in the grave. I'm done. Exhausted, he fell asleep under the lone broom bush. 
Now, burnout will often affect you in one or more of these three ways. Number one, physically. When you're burned out, you're going to find yourself low on energy. You may find it difficult to sleep. And that will compound health issues as well. And that's going to make you feel worse. And it could lead, burnout could lead to you trying to cope in unhealthy ways. Comfort eating, abusing alcohol, or prescription medication, or non-prescription medication. So burnout can impact you physically and cause a downward spiral. Burnout is going to impact you mentally. There's a whole thing behind that, uh, a, med a medical thing there. And, and uh, I, I enlightened you all, I think, the first Sunday we started this series about what the amygdala does for us in our brains. And uh, I'm sure you've remembered it all and held on to it all. But, it, but it's, what, it's the part of our brain that reacts to something and tells us, tells us to be on our guard, tells us something is wrong. But the danger of that is, is there is a thing called, called amygdala hijack, where you stay in that constant state of stress and anxiety and fear. And burnout can get you that way. Whereas you used to be confident, decisive, you find yourself unable to make sometimes the simplest of decisions. And everything seems overwhelming. And then, of course, emotionally. Feeling unmotivated. No self-confidence. A lot of self-doubt. You feel a failure. You feel isolated. You feel alone. You feel miserable. You don't like anybody. And you reckon nobody likes you, which is a dangerous place to be in. So here's what I want to look at this morning. I want to look at how burnout happens from the life of Elijah. And I want to look at what you can do to avoid it or find healing from it. How burnout happens. Number one, burnout happens when we run ourselves into the ground. That's where it begins. It begins when we overstretch ourselves. Uh, 1 Kings 19.3, when Elijah saw how things were, he ran for dear life to Beersheba, far in the south of Judah. Now, if, if, you, if you just read that, it's like, yeah, he ran to Judah, fine. That's 100 miles. That's 100 miles. I was going to a supermarket the other day, and, and a guy was walking up, looking at the back of my car, and he said, what's 13.1? I said, it's half marathon, 13.1 miles. He said, you ran that? I said, no, I walked some of it. <laughs> Elijah ran 100 miles. Uh, maybe literally with all the emotional pressure as well. Now physically, he ran himself into the ground. And if we're not careful, we can do that. Driving ourselves in life, pushing ourselves and pushing ourselves and pushing ourselves. 
Whatever age, whatever stage in life you might be at, you might be the college student who is determined, and it's a good thing to get the best possible grades. And, and along the way, you've got to make sure that you can support yourself as best you can. So you're going to work a lot of hours, and, and, and you really want to do your best to live up to everybody's expectations for you. But it be, can become a crushing burden on you. Or you want to be the best mom. Of course you want to be the best mom. Nobody ever thought, I, I want to be a lousy mother. <laughs> right? So you want to be the best mom. So in order to be the best mom, you know what? You want to make sure that your kids are happy all the time. Stop. Stop. They will never be happy all the time. <laughs> all right? All right, just public service announcement there, Okay. Okay, you gotta, you got you to take that from get-go. They will never be happy all the time. But you want to do your best, so you're running yourself ragged. And, you're, you're, you know, your taxi service is taking them from here to here to here to here, and you're grabbing something to, in your hand to eat on the way and call it dinner, and you're going all over the globe, and you're paying out fees you can't afford so that they can go to stuff you think they ought to enjoy, and life becomes overwhelming. And sometimes, oh, I'm ahead of myself now, but sometimes for your own sanity, you've got to stop. You've got to stop. We run ourselves into the ground, and that's how burnout happens. The second thing that contributes to burnout is when we try to do it all on our own. 1 Kings 19 and verse 3 again, Elijah, here's what he did. He left his young servant there. So he's running away from Jezebel. His servant comes with him, and then he says, you can stay here, you're good. And he goes off by himself. By himself is never good. I know years ago when I started going to countries that are a different culture, I don't call the United States a different culture than the UK, though it's really a different planet. But, um, <laughs> but I remember the first time I went to India was in 1984, and I went to India in 1984 with, and a friend of mine by the name of Ian Green came with me. And Ian and I went together because it's good to have others alongside you. Just to be able to bounce things off of people who understand things the way you understand them. You know, I mean, apart from the fact it was really handy in the airport and say, watch my cases, I'm going to the bathroom. I mean, it's, it's good to have somebody to do that. But it's good as well to say, you, you know what, we went one day to an orphanage. And when we went to this orphanage, we, we arrived and it's good out in the car. All, the, all, these, all, these, all these wonderful little children were lined up along a driveway. And as we walked up there, they threw rose petals out in front of us. And then when we got to the end, they put flower garlands around our necks. And I said to Ian later on, what, what did you think of the rose petal thing? He said, bring it on, I'm worth it. No, he didn't. <laughs> no, he didn't. Uh, it was like, he said, I was uncomfortable. I said, man alive, I was so uncomfortable. It's like, but to be able to bounce it back and forth between us, as observers and experiencers of a different culture was important. Listen, if you isolate yourself, 
it's going to lead to trouble. My, my wife loves watching these Animal Planet shows. I think it's the same guy with a boring voice who narrates them all. Really, if you can't sleep, watch Animal Planet. And, and I, I think it's the same guy. But you know what? It sounds so like Animal Planet. It's so good. It's so good. I saw this one one night with this, the, the, this, the, these load of deer, I think it was, and, and, and it's talking about a young deer who's been injured, and it's showing this deer who's now lagging behind the rest of the group. So the herd's going on, and this young one's limping along, and they say, he's definitely a prey for the lions. And then the camera goes to these lions. And then they show, yeah, they show the lions coming down and ripping this deer apart. And like, she gets upset because I watch Die Hard. I mean, it's... <laughs> it's gruesome stuff. But the fact is, when you're wounded, you need to stay with a herd. We need each other. Now, let me just bounce from there and say this. Two weeks from today, more or less, is when we had our final in-person service before we had to close down for COVID. And as you know, we were closed down for six full months. And then when we started up again, it was very, very different. In fact, I just saw in my Facebook memories today that I mentioned we are starting the cafe again this week. That was only a year ago. Two years we weren't us. But here's what happened in those initial stages. In those initial stages, church became watching the service online. And I am so grateful to God that we could do that and for the people that made that possible. But that is not an ideal ongoing situation. If we have limited interaction with other believers, if we have no real fellowship, we are incredibly vulnerable. Now, let me say that, this, I'm not addressing that certainly to those of our online congregation who are all around this country and in some other countries too. I know it's not feasible for you to be here and we're blessed that you still count yourselves as part of us. But what I am saying for every one of us, in-house, online, if we can be here, we need to be here because we need each other. We need fellowship. If you try to do it all on your own, you are going to reach the bottom. When fear strikes, when the battle's long, when you're at the end of yourself and there's nobody to turn to, you try to do it on your own and you're going to collapse because God never intended it to be that way. God intended us to live as community and as family. Burnout happens when you run yourself into the ground and when you try to do it on your own. Now, let me, let me just, oh dear Lord, look at that time. Let me, let, me, let me just add this, you know, and I know, you know, there are folks who say, well, you know what, I know about church, I, I, this happened or that happened or the other happened. I want to tell you this, this is a fantastic church, but, but, 
But if you want to pick holes in it, there's plenty of areas you can do that. We don't pretend to be perfect and have it all together, you know. If you want to find fault with me, that's easy. Let me give you the list that I know of. <laughs> right? But that doesn't alter the fact we need fellowship and we need each other because let's be honest, we are a community of imperfect people. So the third thing is this, and, and this kind of piggybacks on what I was talking about last week. Burnout happens when we dwell on the negative. So Elijah looked at all that was going wrong. In 1 Kings 19 and verse 4, he says, enough of this, God. Take my life. I'm ready to join my ancestors in the grave. God, he says, I'm done. I'm done. There were so many positives over the last few weeks, let alone the last couple of years in the life and ministry of Elijah. But when he dwelled on the negative, it pulled him right down. Things hadn't quite worked out the way he had expected, but you, you, you know what? He was totally focused on those negatives. Life wasn't going to get better as far as he saw it. And if that's where you are today, here's the twist in this story. In Elijah's darkest moment, God came to him. God came to him in the form of an angel. What I want you to notice is God made the move. Elijah is like, I'm done. He wasn't making an effort to connect with God, except God, take me home. So God found him. Like God has found some of you today. And my prayer this morning is that like the angel touched Elijah and nudged him and pointed forward, my prayer is that God, by the Holy Spirit, will nudge you today. and have you look forward and look upward to what he has for you. The angel comes. And what I love is this. So here's Elijah saying, life stinks, poor me, I hate it, God, I want to die. And the angel comes to him and says, stop that nonsense. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Here's what the angel says. Chapter 19, verse 5. Suddenly an angel shook him and said, get up and eat. Verse 6. He looked around, and to his surprise, right by his head were a loaf of bread baked on some coals and a jug of water. He ate the meal and went back to sleep. So the angel nudges him, wakes him up, and says, hey, there's some stuff here for you. So here he goes, fresh baked bread. Who could resist that? So here's fresh baked, warm bread, refreshing water. He eats, he drinks, and he goes back to sleep. Then, then in verse 7, the angel of God came back, shook him again, and said, get up and eat. Get up and eat some more, because you've got a long journey ahead of you. What the angel realized, and God knew, and God knows about you, is this. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is rest. The Sabbath is one of God's top ten instructions. You know that, don't you? In the Ten Commandments. 
The trouble is we live in a culture where it's almost like if you're not busy and you're not moving around all the time and not into stuff, you, you, you feel guilty resting. And I, I want to just remind you today, don't let your mind bully your body. Or, or the danger is when we've got free time, we fill our free time with tiring activity. Sometimes we just need to rest. You say, well, it's okay for you to say that, Rog. I would, how, how do I do that? I don't know. But if you don't make time to rest, one of these days you will be rested. I, didn't, I don't mean you drop dead. But I mean, if you don't take a break, you'll have to take a break. Psalm 46 and verse 10 is a beautiful verse. It says this. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. Just slow down. Slow down. Just stop for a moment. Be still and know that I am God. In, in Mark chapter 6, it says this. It says, Jesus said to his disciples here, come off by yourselves. Let's take a break and get a little rest. For there was constant coming and going. They didn't even have time to eat. They had crazy lives. And Jesus said, we've got to stop. Got to stop. Got to take a break. You've got to rest. And one of the ways you avoid burnout, one of the ways that you deal with burnout, is you rest. And then the second thing that this story tells us about how you deal with burnout is this. Elijah not only needed to rest, but he needed an encounter with God. He needed God to come close to him. Chapter 19, verse 11. Then he was told, go stand on the mountain at attention before God. God will pass by. A hurricane wind ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God. But God wasn't to be found in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle and quiet whisper. God wasn't in all the dramatics. God was in the whisper. And if you will just slow down and be still in the ordinary moments, you will hear God whisper to you. If you are overwhelmed, if you're feeling like you can't go any further, listen for God's whisper. You know what God's whispering means? God could have spoken to him out of the thunder. But you can do that from a long way away. If you're going to speak to somebody in a whisper, you've got to get right up close to them. And the whisper meant God was there. God was close. God was right beside him. I pray you'll hear God whisper to your soul today. God whispered to him and said, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. 
God was right there beside him. If you feel brokenhearted, God will whisper, I'm close to the brokenhearted. If you're overwhelmed, God whispers, I save those that are crushed. If you're hurt, God whispers, you're not helpless. If you're discouraged, he says, you're never without hope. If you feel weak, he whispers, hey, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. If you feel alone, God whispers today, you're not abandoned. I will never leave you. Burnout comes when we run ourselves into the ground, try to do it alone, and dwell on the negative. The antidote to burnout is to rest and listen to the loving voice of the Father. And my prayer is that that will be your experience today. As we move from the teaching into communion, my prayer is that God will speak to you. From a practical perspective, you should have one of these on your seat or on one nearby if you didn't see it. If you don't have one, if you raise your hand and keep it up, folks will come around in the cafe. Folks are going around offering you communion cups just now. Before Jesus was crucified, the night that he was going to be crucified, he's celebrating the Passover with his disciples. Historically, the Passover remembered that the nation was delivered from death, the days of Egyptian slavery, because they killed a lamb and put its blood over the doorpost. And at Passover every year, Jewish people will remember that event. But the night before he was crucified, Jesus updated all of that. And he said, from tonight onwards, when you do this, remember me. Don't look back those thousands of years to Egypt. Look back to what I'm going to do for you. Here's what it says in the prophecy of Isaiah. It says, Surely he bore our sins and carried our griefs. You'll have figured out how this works, I'm sure. Just to mention the, the smaller part at the top, there's a wafer in. I'm gonna just, why don't you just pull back that, peel back the top there and take out the little wafer. He bore our sins and carried our griefs. Listen for the voice of Jesus telling you today, I carried your griefs. And as you just eat that wafer and remember that his body was broken on the cross for us, remember that through his death, we have wholeness. We have hope. We have eternal life. Let's, let's eat together.
go back to the second film. Jesus with his disciples that night said this, this cup, this red, let it remind you that my blood was shed for you. The 53rd chapter of the prophet Isaiah says this, it says that by his stripes we are healed. And in whatever way you need it, physically, mentally, spiritually this morning, as you drink this, I want you just to remind yourself, Jesus is my healer. His blood was shed so that we could be whole. Let's drink together. Lord, we thank you that you gave everything so that we could have all that we need. Hope, peace, healing, eternal life. Lord, I pray that you would speak wholeness to lives that have been crumbling. Hope into those who felt alone. God, the ever-present reminder that we're healed because Jesus bore our suffering. Thank you, 